Well, good morning, Mosaic. Man, it is great to be with you guys this morning. My name is Joel. I am one of the pastors here. And today, not only do we get to celebrate the fact that it is a Sunday morning where we get get together together as the church, but it is also Reformation Day. Yes, it is also Halloween, and it's an awesome opportunity for us to love our neighbors well and to spend time with family. But one of the things that we often forget on October 31st is that uh, we, as followers of Jesus, especially those of us in the Protestant tradition, which we fall into here at Mosaic, get to remember and celebrate all that God did 504 years ago and beyond uh, when the Protestant Reformation began. Uh, 504 years ago today, uh, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on a door at a church in Wittenberg, Germany. Um, My friends and I, in my 20s, we took a friend's trip to Europe together. And part of what we did when we were in Europe is kind of did a a bit of a Reformation tour because we're nerds. And... um, And so on that tour, uh, we got to uh, go and visit uh, the church in Wittenberg where Martin Luther nailed those uh, 95 statements to that door. And lo and behold, the door was under construction. How fun is that? Um, But I think the beauty of the fact that the door was under construction is that One of the slogans that came out of the Protestant Reformation was this idea that the church should always be reforming. Uh, The the slogan in Latin is semper reformanda, and it's that idea that the church is reformed and it is always reforming according to the word of God. So as ironic as it was that that door was being uh, under construction and being updated is that it was reforming, which I think Martin Luther uh, thought maybe would be funny. Uh, but uh, I didn't think it was funny because it ruined any chance for pictures. But uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, Semper Reformanda, the idea that the church would always be reforming uh, is about reforming to the Word of God. Um, I, as I was researching for this uh, this morning, this week, I came across an article from Ligonier Ministries. Anybody familiar? Uh, they're just uh, up the street off I-4 in Samford. Um, and here's what they say about Semper Reformanda. It's, it's, it's this. Semper Reformanda is not about con- constant fluctuations, but instead it's about firm foundations. It is about a radical adherence to the Holy Scriptures, no matter the cost to ourselves, the cost to our traditions, or of our own sense of cultural relevance. The only reformation worth promoting and praying for is one that gets us deeper into our Bibles, not farther away. And this is the heartbeat of the Reformation is that we would go back to the scriptures and we would go back to the word of God and say, God, transform us, reform us, change us, shape us, but not according to our own ideas, not according to our own opinions, uh, not according to what culture's expectation is, uh, not according to the American dream, not according to any of these things that are pressing in up against the people of God. 
but that the reformation that we need takes us back into God's word so that he can form us, so that he can shape us, and so that he can change us. See, culture looks in at the church and and looks in at Christianity, and when we fail to deliver what God's ideal is through the church, which the church we often do, we often fail because we're fallible human beings. One of the craziest things that God ever did is chose to use us to accomplish his purposes because we're a little bit of a struggle, right? We are a struggle so often. And when the culture looks in on us and they see our struggle and they see our failure, often the answer of the culture is that the faith that we represent should just simply be deconstructed. That the faith that we represent should simply be discarded. Because if these are the people of God and this is the way that they behave within our cultural context, then we don't want anything to do with that. And yet the answer that God gives us is not deconstruction or discard. When we fail or we fall or we struggle, we're not able to, to bring God's ideal to bear in our cultural surroundings. Where do we go? We don't go further into the culture. We don't go uh, just throwing our faith away. Instead, we press in to the word of God and we allow the word of God to shape us and to transform us and to make us more like our Savior. That is the answer. It is not deconstruction. Instead, it is reform. It is always reform. That, that the Protestant Reformation that began 504 years ago was not something that happened just in one generation and then it was solidified and done. But here in our generation, in Winter Garden, Florida, and the surrounding areas, wherever we call home, that we as a people of God should be reforming and becoming more like Jesus, going back to his word and saying, God, how can you make us more like yourself? I love last week, if you were not able to make it last week, as Renaud shared uh, his sermon, uh, Journey to the High Places is the title of the sermon. If you didn't get to catch that, I would highly recommend you go podcast that sermon. Because in that message, Renaud took us through a lot of his personal journey of what he's walked through throughout his sabbatical. And a lot of that was a journey that was very, very difficult. And yet God was at work within his story in deep and profound ways. And one of the illustrations that Renault kind of brought to the table as he was sharing his personal story is that he felt like he was this lump of clay and God was this potter. And for many, many years, Renault looked a certain way. And throughout this sabbatical process, God took the lump of clay and he smashed it. And he began to reform Renault. And Renault said he, he thought maybe, maybe God was reforming in into a teacup, which I thought was funny. I was hoping he would have said teapot because then I could have sang that I'm a little teapot. Here's my handle. Here's my spout. But Renault is not short or stout, so it wouldn't have worked. So I guess maybe teacup is better. But but where that, that idea, that picture comes from is actually from the book of Jeremiah. And I want us to go there this morning because I think it grounds us in what we're talking about here today, about what it means to be people who are always reformed. Jeremiah chapter 18, the book of Jeremiah is one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. It's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. But the prophet Jeremiah is 
sharing a picture of what God was doing with the people of God, with the nation of Israel. And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18, uh, he shares this word that came to him from the Lord. It says, uh, chapter 18, verse 1, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, verse 2, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And so he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. See, see our God is a sovereign God. He's a big God. He is an all-powerful God. We call him omnipotent. He has all the power in the universe. And he's, he's huge and he presides over the universe and he has 100% control. And yet God is kind enough to be so near to us as his people that he would be working in our story just like that visual, that beautiful visual of a potter working meticulously over the clay. That God's hands are imminently involved in our lives. That he is not uh, unconcerned, he is not unaware, he's not uninvolved, but he is intimately at work in our story. And he's transforming us and he's reforming us and he's shaping us. And it's not just Renault who he is shaping. He's shaping you and he's shaping me. The question is, will we stop and take enough time to notice the potter's work in our lives? Or will we instead just go about our business, go about our daily life, Will we continue to live life as if we are our own God? Or will we recognize that God is deeply at work in our story? See, Paul echoes this concept later on in the book of Romans. He actually talks quite a bit about this concept of the potter and the clay and God's work within our story. And after he walks through for about three chapters, that idea, he gets to kind of the end, the conclusion of what it means that the potter might be at work in our story, transforming us and shaping us. And he begins uh, or, and concludes that thought in Romans chapter 12. Let's go there together as well. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you've been a part of Mosaic for any length of time, you know uh, this is in uh, kind of the hall of fame of Bible verses for us uh, here at Mosaic. We love this scripture. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as Paul kind of concludes his illustration of the potter and the clay that comes from Jeremiah chapter 18, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore... So with all of this said about this God who is our potter and, and we who are the clay, I'm going to beg you. I'm going to appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, because our God is merciful and he's loving. 
I want, I want to beg you to present your bodies, your life, all of who you are as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you want to know how to worship God? Give, him, give yourself to him. Give all of yourself to him. As Eric was sharing this morning, that, that we are coming together, gathering together, and we're worshiping together, and we're singing songs, and that's a part of our worship. But it doesn't end there. That, that when we come together and we sing and we declare who God is and what he's done, that is a reminder for us that he is at work in our stories and that he wants to transform us and shape us from the inside out. And Paul continues in verse 2 of chapter 12 to say this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed, be reformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. See, Paul is saying, if you want to worship God, bring your life to him and ask him to transform it and to shape it and to change it. Not according to the pattern of the world, not according to what the culture is asking and begging us to become, but instead to be transformed and reformed by the renewing of our mind. See, this is why here at Mosaic, as we've embarked on this journey of discipleship, and we talked about that earlier in the fall, is that our journey of discipleship is a lifelong journey which is founded on us understanding and embracing the biblical story, uh, digging deep into Christian belief and living out Christian practice that this is the process of us transforming by the renewal of our mind, not going further away from the Bible, but pressing deeper into it, pressing deeper into the word of God, because our minds, your mind and mine, need renewing. Uh, we need renewal. We need transformation. We come out and by default, we are rebellious. By default, we are sinful. This is why you do not have to teach a toddler to hit their brother or sister. The other day, I had this moment with my two and a half year old where I was getting ready to go to work. And that's always, you know, kind of a struggle for kids. And I'm, I sing the Daniel Tiger song, you know, grown ups come back. Some of you are older, you're like, who? Daniel Tiger is like the new Mr. Rogers. He's incredible. Um, and I'm singing Grown Ups Come Back and, you know, reminding her I'll be back. And I hug her and I embrace her and it's this sweet moment. And then she leans over to my shoulder and bites me as hard as she possibly can. I'm like, oh no, we got a biter, you know. I probably got disqualified for every preschool we might try to get her into just now. Um, but I didn't have to teach her to bite me. But that's baked in to her sinful nature. Our minds need reforming because we have a fallen will. 
our will, the things we desire by default is fallen. Well, I thought we had a free will. Well, you won't find that in the Bible, first of all. Second of all, that's a very American concept. And third of all, when you read the scripture, what we begin to see and what we begin to discover is that our will is fallen because of sin. In fact, that's what uh, Eric was reading from Romans chapter 6 this morning during worship. That, that our propensity is not to, to ward holiness. Our propensity is not toward goodness. Our propensity is not toward love. But our propensity, what we are naturally bent towards, is to rebellion against God and to treat his creation in a way that they ought not be treated. That that is the default of our will. And our minds need to be renewed. Our will needs to be transformed. Philippians 2.13 says that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, it has got to be God's work in us for our will to be conformed to him. It's not something that happens on accident. It is not something that happens by default, but it takes the work of God, the potter reforming the clay so that our hearts and our minds might desire his will and his way. Remember Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? This is Jesus we're talking about, fully God, fully man. And in the garden of Gethsemane, he looks up to the father and says, if there's any way for this cup of your wrath being poured out on me for the salvation of the people, if there's any way for this cup to be removed from me, then, then let's, let's take that way. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. See, you and I, as fallen people, sinful people, do not, by default, align our will to the will of God. But because of the work of Jesus, who has gone before us, who the Bible says, according to his human nature, he learned obedience through suffering. That he got to the point of the Garden of Gethsemane where he could say, not my will, but yours be done. Where he could say, God, I know that we are aligned according to my divinity. I know that we are aligned. Our wills are perfectly in line. But according to my, my humanity right now, I am struggling. And yet I want my will to be conformed to your will. And then what does Jesus do from there? He walked up Calvary on the cross and bore the wrath of God for us. But in that, in that, Jesus, his will being conformed to the will of the Father leads us to that same pathway so that we can look at Jesus and say, just like Jesus says and prays in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. So can I, so can you, so can we as a people pray and ask God to transform us from the inside out, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So in the wake of the Protestant Reformation, there was a conference, like a big church ecumenical conference where they came together. Um, and, and out of that, uh, they produced a document and it was called the Canons of Dort, uh, which just sounds dorky. I don't know why. You know, you can't feel cool when you say Canons of Dort, right? Just say it out loud, Canons of Dort. Anyway, 
I digress. But here's what it says. From the Canons of Dort, it says this. When God carries out his good pleasure in his chosen ones or works true conversion in them, he infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead will alive, the evil will good, the unwilling one willing, and the stubborn will compliant. He activates and strengthens the will so that, like a good tree, it may be enabled to produce the fruit of righteousness. So what, what they're saying there and they're recognizing there is that by default, because of our sinful nature, our will is unconformed to God's will. But by the grace of God and the goodness of God, when he works salvation in us, when he regenerates our heart so that we can turn to him and recognize the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, that not only does he save our souls and secure our eternity with him, but he begins a work of transformation in us that very moment. And that work he promises to complete at the day of Christ. And so at whatever point you came to know Jesus, God began the process of transforming who you are and turning you into a person who desires to live for him. And today, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, I would just say this to you. The most free you can possibly be is when you are living in accordance with the way that God created you. You won't experience a better freedom than that. Often we think in the United States that freedom is being able to do whatever I want. But true freedom is actually being able to do what you were created to do. To be who you were created to be. Who God intended you to be, which is a person who bears his image. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I would just say this to you. I would appeal to you. I would ask you to consider what it might look like for you to step into a relationship with him. Today, we'll have people at the prayer wall available to pray with you. We'd love to have a conversation with you and pray with you. If there's someone you came with, have a conversation with them. Because the reality is for those of us who do know Jesus, the beauty of the journey that we are on is that as he is demonstrating himself to be our highest good, and as we live in recognition of that demonstration, and as he transforms us into his likeness, we experience the maximum amount of freedom through obedience to him. That's beautiful. That is something that can not just change our behavior, but it can change us from the inside out, which is what God wants to do. So I've been in pastoral ministry now for um, almost 15 years. And in pastoral ministry, what, what can tend to very easily happen, and this, is, this has been part of my journey, is that over time, as God transforms us and works in us, we can begin to get used to him working through us and him working around us. And he wants to do that. 
He wants to do that. And in fact, Ephesians 2.10, one of our favorite verses around here, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So God wants to work through us, but he also wants to work in us. And we should never forget that. As Renaud was starting his uh, sabbatical, as he was uh, entering into that process, I knew kind of what the, the plan was for him and, and uh, all the things he was going to be walking through. And I was looking at that thinking, gosh, I bet that's going to be a pretty transformational uh, time for him. And I'm, I was excited for him in that. But, but here I was left behind with you people, you know, <laughs> and uh, just kidding. Love you guys very much. Um, but here I was and, and not on sabbatical and doing everyday life. And I was having a conversation with a, with a friend He's been a pastor for about 40 years and we we're just talking and, and he's one of those guys that's like really good at asking questions. And it's like, you can't help, but by the end of a conversation with him, you've like gone to the depths of your soul. You're like, no, stop asking me questions. And at, at the end of the, the conversation with him, one of the things that I realized is that I am more prone to allow God to work through me than to work in me. that after 15 years of working in the church and that this is my job and this is my life, that maybe I've gotten kind of satisfied with who I am. For those of you who know me well, you're like, really? My wife is like, seriously? You're satisfied with that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? And God is at the potter's wheel and his hands are ready to work, ready to reform, ready to reshape, ready to be so deeply involved in my story and to transform me from the inside out. And it's incredibly beautiful that God has an invitation for us to, to, to work for his good pleasure, but it is not just that he wants to work through us, that he wants to invite us into the journey of transformation, a, a journey that only he can take us on, that he's our good shepherd. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that guides us. And it may be through the valley of the shadow of death, but if he's with me, we don't have to fear any evil. And God desires to transform us. See, we, we need transformation. I think a lot of times we have so much information at our fingertips, we assume we've got everything that we need. In, in our culture, with the internet, with the amount of books that are available to us, with all of the resources that are available even within the church, we are gluttons for information. And I'm this way as well. But so often I'm starving for transformation. And God is inviting us into that process. You know, I don't know where you're at in life. Maybe you're completely the opposite of me. Maybe you're the kind of person that loves God to be working in your story, but maybe you're, you're afraid to let him work through you. So maybe you're in a different space. But as we consider what this 
concept of God being the the potter and us being the clay means for us as individuals. What might that mean for us as a community? What might it mean that if God is at work in you and in you and in you and in you and in me and in you and in you, those of us joining online, all of us, if God is at work transforming our story as individuals, how could that change the way that we as a community look? And what would that do to our culture? What would that do to the people around us if at Mosaic Church, we were voraciously pursuing transformation so that God would make himself known in our lives and through our lives? If we as a people were transforming in that way, what could God do through us in our generation? So the Protestant Reformation 504 years ago changed the course of the known world. It literally changed history. And it all started with one person, really a few people, but it started with a community of people who began to experience and recognize that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus and not any other means. And we've got to make sure the world knows that. What could happen in our story 504 years later if that beautiful reality transformed not just each one of us, but us as a collective? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, He says, and we all, so not just Paul, not just one of the Corinthians, but we all, he says, beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That we, as the people of God, are being transformed collectively into the image of God so that our lives go from one glorious moment to another glorious moment, one glorious experience with God to another glorious experience with God, one glorious transformation of our character to another glorious transformation of our character, one glorious moment where we look at at our sin and we repent and say, God, I do not want to pursue my own divinity, but I want to pursue after you. And what would happen, Mosaic, if we became a people who were always reforming, allowing the potter to work in a way that only he could work in the clay of our lives to make us whatever he wants us to be, whether it's a teacup, whether it's a teapot, a vase, a jar, whatever he wants us to be for his glory and for our good. I'm going to pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the beautiful and freeing reality that you are a God who transforms us, that you are a God who shapes us, that you are a God 
like a potter, shapes us as clay to be the people that you desire for us to be. God, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful piece of good news this morning. God, we thank you that today, 504 years after the Protestant Reformation began, where the heart's cry of the, of the Reformation was to bring people back to the good news of the gospel, to bring people back to the beauty of our salvation that is found only by your grace, through faith, only in Jesus. God, help that beautiful truth transform us. God, we pray that you would transform us as we renew our minds to who you are and to what you've done as we come back to your word, as we come back to scripture and we ask that you would shape us and renew our minds through it. God, that you are the God who is able to change our will, to conform to your will so that we can work for your good pleasure. And God, we thank you that we as a people are gonna look more and more and more and more like you as we continue to pursue your heart, experience your truth, and receive the transformation and the reformation that only you can bring. So God, we give our lives to you. We submit our hearts to you today. And we pray all of these things in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.